Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a licensed nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hi, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, owner of Extreme Human Performance, creator of the Flex Diet Certification, instructor at Rocky Mountain University, and faculty member of the Kerrig Institute. All right, everyone, we're going to break the fourth wall a little here and uh, just share. We're having terrible connection problems with Skype this morning, so uh, we're going to probably sort of uh, go over to Phil for a separate audio segment because you know he's he's ready to answer some questions and that sort of thing there was one listener question very specific i think um and we can chime in but it, really it's best for phil to answer uh so uh, after we do a little bit of news and mail we'll sort of work our way over to phil and say you know what do you think about this um just so we can get a little uh coach stevens in on this so um lots of mail this week uh and some news. The news kind of takes a journalism slant, and it, it sort of precipitated our topic, which is going to be BS uh, that we see in fitness journalism, essentially. Like, what is it that you see in some of these articles, and uh, whether it's a muscle magazine or, or more gen pop media, uh, what kind of BS stuff? It's just kind of a light topic. It's a little salty maybe, but it's it's just discussion. <laughs> you know, it's not so much instructive. And then you guys as listeners, of course, everybody can just determine if you feel the same way or not. But first with some uh, news. Strength and Muscle Sport News. This first one is just very brief. It's from uh, – we often get c- contacted by other podcasters and like what used to be called a podcatcher, you know, like apps that help you find your, your mm-hmm. podcasts. But – uh, this is from a one called Potable, and I'm not here to advertise them, but just to share a statistic at the beginning of this, it says, if you haven't heard, podcasting is exploding with over 40 million Americans listening to an average of five episodes a week. Wow. It's the age of personalized radio where you can listen to any topic that tickles your fancy. And then they go on about why why their little app is best. And, of course, we... It, we're set up through Stitcher. iTunes is still our major, you know, distribution channel. Uh, but there's a lot. We're we're hooked up through some type of Google Audio. I don't even know what that one is called. Yeah. And and like I said, this one's potable. But um, this really echoes something that Dr. Cordero we had on recently. She uh, she's the writing professor. She was saying that too. That we're in this just explosion of, of podcasts. And I don't know. I feel like saying, well, we were the cool kids first. Yeah, because it seems like everyone and their brother has a podcast now. And I'm sure it's like back when, you know, having a blog was the in thing. And it's cool. I mean, you can get a lot more information sooner, which is great. But like you said, a lot of them start out great and then they just kind of disappear. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them have video components and great like production values. And I can always, oh, yeah. I, I kind of, you know, snicker like as a podcasting veteran. I'm like, that one's going to pod fade because there's too much t- The time is a resource. 
You know, it's not just money. And if you it takes you four hours to edit and prep a show, that's not going to continue probably if you have a real job. You know, yeah. so. Uh, definitely a lot more effort to keep that up. And some of them are just so stupid. I was looking at different podcasts the other day. I mean, they have ones about people who kick, like, as part of their job. If you're a swimmer or you're a karate instructor or, or you're in football, it's just about kicking, the whole thing. One's about deco- wow. decorating with frogs. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Anyway, for, at least for our purposes, right, we, we have a community that, <laughs> of course I'm biased, but makes sense. So... Um, okay, so I just thought I would share that podcasting is enormous, and I didn't realize five episodes a week, but that does reflect w- what I think you and I do, Mike. We listen to podcasts in different genres, you yeah. know. And um, yeah, well, if I, listen- I come to your house and I see lots of frogs, I know what you've been listening to. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, okay, here is a question from Jennifer, longtime listener. Uh, are there any specific brands you would recommend uh, for essentially joint supplements? Uh, glucosamine, chondroitin, MSM. Uh, are there benefits to taking liquid over pill form? It seems like you've talked about this on Iron Radio, but I couldn't recall which episode. And Mike, I know that you're you're pretty well read on things like different, um, you know, different versions of mineral supplements and that kind of thing. I tend to just go to Sam's Club when it comes to like glucosamine, chondroitin. Um, my current one does, in fact, also have F- MSM in it. Uh, but do you have any thoughts about preferred joint supps? Yeah, I mean, usually I look at their you know base diet, right? Is their inflammation super high? Um, direct data is eh, so-so on fish oil, um, but I'll look at their essential fatty acids and run like a at-home test to see if those are really screwy because their inflammation might just be super high, which is exacerbating it. Yeah. Um, you know, from a mechanic side, you know, are the right muscles doing the right job that are kind of around the joint? Is there something you can do with exercise, you know, to kind of help that? Uh, then in terms of specific supplements, um, I've played around with a couple over the years. Uh, the better experiments I've done actually, uh, micronutrition, just from eating as many veggies as you can, usually seems to make a big difference, even without getting fancy and adding uh, turmeric and ginger and other kind of anti-inflammatory compounds. Yeah. Um, I've had mixed results with glucosamine chondroitin. Um, usually the dose is like the standard 1,500 milligram, 1,200 milligram. I have used one from a company called uh, GLC, and they make uh, one called Actostatin. Um, at the time when I got it, they only had the equine version out. But it was the same as a human version they're developing. So I bought the equine version. <laughs> okay. So I had like the like a pound of it in my, my cupboard <laughs> with this big horse on right. it, which <laughs> there was nothing illegal and it was just, you know, over no, the counter, right. but you can only get it from your vet at that time. But they have the human version now. Um, I've had pretty good luck with that. Um, the GLC, the specific uh, chondroitin they use, seems to help a little bit more. So I'll have clients take that for around two weeks. And usually, most of the time, they notice a benefit uh, at the end of that. And then our buddy Sean Casey has one, too, through his company. I'm um, just pulling it up here that he sent me uh, a sample that was pretty good. Uh, let's see here. Let's see if I can find it. But if you look under Dietetic Advantage, um, they had one that they just joined supplement <clears throat> And then, yeah, I kind of like that one. That seemed to work pretty good. Yeah. You could probably 
get him on here at some point to tell us more about all the details behind it. But I also know that he does a lot of research into everything too. And he's not just going to come out with something that looks cool either. No, right. Yeah. It always helps to have somebody formulating the product that actually has some nutrition or science background. Right. Right. You know, uh, I just grabbed mine. This is just a member's mark from Sam's club. And I know it's not ideal, but it says compare to osteobiflex. That's the, what I would consider overpriced main one yeah. <laughs> that you often see. It's 1,500 milligram of glucosamine, uh, 1103 milligram of chondroitin MSM complex. Uh, and then they throw in a couple of other things, just like a low-dose 60 milligram vitamin C and stuff like that. Um, I will say this. This is not very scientific. And, and Jennifer, this is just my perception. But since, uh, I don't know what it was, last summer, I kind of blew up my left knee going for a run. And there's no doubt that I, now I'm not a physician, but <laughs> I tore my medial meniscus. I mean, I, it, everything was classic. I talked to a couple of uh, medical professionals about it. They're like, yeah, that's what you did. And, and you know, my options would be either try to string it along until I need to get some of that cut away. You know, the thing is, I without any kind of imaging i don't know is it like a bucket handle tear there's lots of severities mm -hmm. of how that tears but when i take a com combination of this just you know discount club uh glucosamine chondroitin msm and i take um well i take four triple strength fish oils every morning and then i and i like the double and triple strength of course because you're going for the active ingredient right i want yeah. high dose epa dha and then um yeah the um there's two different kinds of curcumin uh, that I get off of Amazon, and they're supposed to have better bioavailability. Uh, one of them is more like through a lipid mechanism, and the other one I can't even remember, but they're supposed to be a little bit more bioavailable because, of course, that's one of the issues with that. I will say this. When I'm steady with all those things, my left knee doesn't hurt. And when I'm not steady with those things, that old pain comes back. So, like, you, to your point, I mean, part of this is I'm – I'm trying to sneak in the building blocks, essentially, you know, with the glucosamine, chondroitin. Just, I figure over time, if if there's even a, a <laughs> minuscule amount of that in my in my joint itself, it's going to slosh around and maybe deposit. I don't know. It's not very, you know, uh, but, but, you know, we both know that's not a very vascular area. And so, yeah. you know, I'm just hoping to kind of get that saturated in my tissues a little, but then like I said, their, their curcumin products, I think, do help in the fish oil with the inflammation. And if I stop those, I've actually had people say, you know, you're limping. I'm like, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> so um, the curcumin you're using, was that uh, Mariva? One of them is. Um, yeah. Do you like that? Well, I had there was two of them, and I'd have to go grab them. They're both in my cupboards. Maybe we'll we'll do a deeper dive in the future. Yeah. Um, I mentioned it uh, on a show recently, but of course, you know, we've been doing this for like a decade, so yeah. <laughs> we're going to start measuring in decades. But um, yeah, but I'm just going for things that because of the known bioavailability, and I even pulled some papers, and we discussed it about a year or maybe even a year and a half ago on Iron Radio, because in the advanced nutrition class, I had a couple of students very interested. We have a section on phytochemicals, and you know, you get things like resveratrol and curcumin, and you know this as well or better than I do. The bioavailability is just suspect. If only yeah. we could get it in, you know, uh, get that absorption and get it to the tissue of interest kind of thing. So I thought it's sure not going to hurt, you know. Um, and I do – I actually think it helps because, like I said, my knee doesn't hurt. And I don't know if it's because it's the analgesia or the anti-inflammation or 
maybe I am supplying a few building blocks in there for the cartilage to do its thing um, and and not split any further. Uh, I don't know. In my mind, that's what I'm hoping for because I've heard that, yeah, when they go in there, I spoke to a, a friend of mine who's an athletic trainer, and she herself had uh, a medial meniscus tear, and she's like, I just tolerated as much as I could. Then the, essentially I, I had them cut away because you know, there's the classic clicking you know, for yep. this sort of thing and, and cut it away. And then when they do that, they basically say the bone is more exposed and eventually you're going to need a total knee replacement. You might get, <laughs> you might get 10 years or this or that. And I'm like, well, uh, I'm going to put this off as much as I can. Uh, anyway, so Jennifer, I hope that helps a little with some doses, a couple of brands for you. Um, Sean's uh, supplement under, if you go to dietetic advantage, it's J N T dash two. Gotcha. Joint and Nutrition T-2. So, yeah, it's MSM and a specific form of uh, cartilage. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Now, Kayla, Iron Radio intern, she tells me that Sean is, he's having some sales on some things. So, I, I'm not sure. Like I said, I don't want to make it a commercial, but um, no, good stuff. And like I said, if, if you look at the literature, mm, you know, uh, clinically, I think, you know, you'll talk to physicians or if you look at the literature, these things are not solid gold. There seems to be a, a like a nutrigenetic thing with some of this glucosamine chondroitin response as mm -hmm. far as clinical benefits. And um, that's why I always kind of I get my triple strength fish rolls from Sam's Club and whatnot. So at least that's how I do that. Probably not ideal, but just realistic. Um, next. This is the question that I want to get uh, some audio clip from Phil about. This is from Arturo. He says, um, hi, guys. I don't know if this is the correct way to email the show. Um, I've been listening for years and just became a supporting member. I really appreciate what you have done over the years. Anyway, here are my questions. So I'm going to pose this one to you, Mike, and then we'll go to Phil. I have seen many twice-a-week programs. And I'm a little reluctant to go that route, even though there are many times I barely have time to get to the gym. So I think he literally means twice a week and not the same body part twice in a week. Uh, so it's um, twice a week lifting. Yeah, yeah I I'm pretty you. sure. He says, I'm not a big guy, five foot five, 178 pounds. My strength is mediocre, uh, 250 bench, 310 deadlift, 185 squat. Uh, my squat sucks because of lingering injuries to my back and knees over the last couple of years. I've only been training for strength a couple years now, even though I have lifted on and off since my teens, and I am 52 now. So he's a little bit older than I am. Um, my back and knees are the healthiest they've been in years, and even though I'm chomping at the bit to push it, I also don't want to overdo it and injure myself again. Is training twice a week really effective? I've done everything from starting strength, 5-3-1. I tend to gravitate towards strength templates over bodybuilding templates. Um, it says there are many resources that claim older lifters should work out less, perhaps twice a week. What has been your experience? All right, Mike, you first. <laughs> yeah, um, that actually fits with pretty much what I'm doing right now. So I'm actually only lifting formally most weeks, only twice a week. Uh, the other times I'm actually, uh, since uh, three and a half months ago, I've been Working more on cardiovascular stuff, uh, doing more rowing, doing some more low-intensity stuff. Uh, I'm doing some uh, functional neurology stuff for my eyes, so I wanted to get my cardiovascular capability back up. My aerobic base was kind of low. Um, so I'm doing a upper body 
like on a Monday or Tuesday, and then some type of lower body stuff either Friday or Saturday. So today will be lower body. And even within that, I cut back on the volume quite a bit. So on Monday, yeah, it's a little bit more on the hypertrophy side, bench, uh, dumbbell bench, uh, dumbbell rows, stuff like that. But max time I'm in the gym, an hour, hour and 15. And then like today I've been alternating with uh, safety bar squats and chin-ups and just some neck extension, maybe some easy grip stuff. Um, and actually the upper body stuff, eh, progress has been okay, a little bit slower. Um, lower body stuff, progress has actually been quite good. Uh, that may be because my lower body has been feeling better lately too. And then I also decided not to even then push that one that hard. In the past, I was also doing a, a broomball game during the week, which was more higher intensity. Okay. So, and other clients I've worked with have done similar things. I mean, I've had, you know, some guys say, okay, I can only get to the gym Monday and Friday. Uh, I've had some clients where their Monday through Friday is just insane, and they can only get to the gym Saturday and Sunday because it's a weekend. So, yeah, I would say it sounds like with the schedule you have and with the outside stuff you have going on, I think trying to do more than that is probably going to backfire anyway. So I would say, yeah, just, you know, consider doing a full body, more maybe more upper body focused one day, maybe a little bit more full body, lower body focused the other day, you know, squat or deadlift, something like that, maybe more bench on the other day, press, and then just get in as much walking as you can, even park farther away, you know, get up a few minutes early, do a 20 minute AM walk just to get some other movement during the week. And yeah, he does do that, actually. Later, oh, yeah. later in the email, he said he does a little bit of walking, hiking. Perfect. Yep, yep. Yeah, so I would say that's, you know, the reality is if that's where you're at and that's the time you have, you know, people can do pretty good with that. You know, is it, quote, unquote, perfect or ideal or optimal? Yeah, probably not. But, you know, I've had clients make pretty good progress doing that. And the reality is you can't really sometimes add more than that or the whole thing's going to backfire and you don't want to risk injury and digging a bigger hole either right yeah yeah that echoes a lot of what i've been doing as well i mean i probably get to the gym three times a week um i would one of the things that really helped me is the high intensity interval stuff i spend my first 20 yeah. minutes every time in the gym um instead of putting it at the end i do it at the beginning so i'm probably only spending about 40 minutes on the weights you know, and sometimes I'll do heavy circuit. Like I'll go in and almost just like do an upper body, lower body split throughout yeah. the week, you know, and I know that's more bodybuilding ish and, and he's more interested in maybe some of the, you know, power type routines. But sometimes I'll literally do whole body. I'll go in, I'll like squat, leg press. I'll just do like one basic heavy movement, you know, overhead pressing like you. I do more dumbbells now because I can supinate and, and not yeah. irritate joints and, um, you know, I still like seated cable rows. And so, yeah, I'm uh, three times a week with definitely more of a cardio component. Uh, he mentioned that he's about 20% fat, maybe a little higher. So I think you could really see a lot of, again, if you're interested in muscle mass and aesthetics at all and not just strength, um, it really it really helps to unveil a little bit of your your structure, you know, your muscle mass by leaning down just a little. And not just with diet, of course, or the hikes and stuff, but yeah, I'm a huge fan over this last year and a half of of the HIIT stuff, you know, just even on an elliptical or a bike or whatever's not bothering my knee. Um, I think that really helps. 
And you know, and you can do heavy circuit type stuff. Circuits don't have to be on Nautilus machines with isolation movements. You, know? <laughs> you could do like a bench squat row kind of circuit, you know, and really um, do some good work before you leave. You know, even again, like even if it's just 35, 40 minutes with the weights themselves. So, yeah, that's what I found with <clears throat> like safety bar squats and shins because if I'm doing you know, five to seven or eight reps on squats. Yeah, it's a little bit more cardiovascular, but, you know, a couple, you know, weighted shins or singles up to triples on shins is easy. It's a full body thing, and there's not as much systemic recovery from that either. So I found that pairing works well. And last thing, like you were saying, if he has access to, like, a Concept 2 rower, you know, just get a warm-up, even if it's at the end of training, and just do one, you know, all-out 500-meter row, you're going to take you probably less than two minutes and you know that can be enough just to maintain some stuff in that high intensity zone for a while too and you're talking like an extra with warm-up and everything a total an extra five minutes you know so yeah. it's it's not too bad yeah yeah for me it's uh, it part of it stems from all that stuff that we've been seeing at conferences about you know turning on the right genes a lot of things you yeah. have to do some fairly high intensity cardio type stuff and a lot of my lifts I would I would consider not so much cardio based. You know, it might be heavier. I do negatives and stuff like that, and because you know, then I could try to trigger some hypertrophy and not destroy my joints any further. But yeah. yeah, so that's how I get that that metabolic intensity that seems to be so helpful. And I mean, I really did. I dropped twenty pounds of fat, and nice. and I can just by adding or subtracting one hiit bout during the week you know like maybe I, i'm doing it either two times a week or three times a week i'm amazed at the difference in you know what it does to your your metabolism and your physique and stuff so anyway okay well let's go to phil we'll get his input on this question and essentially anything else he would like to talk about uh on this ridiculous skype tech mess <laughs> that we're dealing with today Okay, everybody, we're having some technical difficulties on Skype. We don't know what the hell's going on. But for some reason, I can't get a hold of Lonnie and Mike, who are recording right now. So I'm doing my own thing. This is Phil Stevens. I'm here. I run Strength Guild. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, a little bit of everything else. Got some big events coming up. Uh, everybody should look for. August 18th, we're showing a big, throwing a big strength festival here in town. Lonnie might be coming out for that. We got Matt. Vincent from Hate Brand Goods, and you guys all know Matt. He's been on the show a couple times. He's multi-time world champion in Highland Games. Mike Beach coming out, national champion. Big uh, Highland Games with Pro Division, strongman competition, tug of war for some cash prizes in team and individual. Uh, what else are we doing? Some exercise racing, running a 5K for just uh, it's going to be like a kilted 5K. That's mainly to get people involved and just showing up at the event. Um, there's all kinds of stuff going on all day long. So if anybody's interested in that, come on out. Um, and I'm just going to address some things going on. Uh, I, I want to give a shout out to some of my ladies. I've had a uh, couple of my couple of my women at the gym went for new uh, PRs last night after a, a pretty intense six week training program, and they both went over the 20 pound mark on their squats uh, increased in six weeks. So Gina crossed the 315 barrier for the first time she crushed 315 went 325 got it too um and then allison who's just done one meet and uh she's already at 275 it's it's just a pretty amazing how uh 
We've got some strong women coming up, and the new baseline at the gym now is like 315, so that's pretty amazing. I'm just glad my kids get to grow up around uh, just strong, you know, men and women all the time. So it's amazing. Congrats to those ladies. I want to address a couple listener questions today. We had one on the site that uh, I kind of touched on briefly, and uh, I was going to give it a little more thought here, but... Michael asked about uh, having one to two days of very low-calorie days boarding on protein-sparing modified fast and then eating maintenance or hair under the rest of the week as opposed to straight daily deficit. Mentally, it's just easier for him to dial it in one to two days and have a little more freedom the other days. Um, He's looking to go from about 20% body fat to 15 or 15 to 20 pounds over the course of five to six months. he says, I mean, a deficit is a deficit, right? Especially at this higher body fat level. I agree. I mean, I when I was cutting down, I did some of these, and I've done some in the past. I mean, I think it, at some point, I reach a point where I just don't want to go down and eat less on a daily basis. So, like he said, it's mentally easier where if I have one day, maybe two days, where I eat very little. And that can be easy for me because I get super busy. So, I'm one of those weird people that... Um, like I'll come down here and get to working and in my office and like three o'clock in the afternoon rolls around and I realize I haven't eaten anything but <laughs> and that's odd for me because normally I like the first thing I do is wake up and eat but um, if I get busy I get that way but anyways it's uh, you're right and it, at some point it is you can start looking at weekly caloric expenditure or caloric intake versus daily um, so if you're you're in a deficit over the long haul then of course, I mean, it's much like training. You don't need to, I, I hate people to look at a daily volume. Let's look at what you did over weeks, over months, and things like that, and that's what adds up to real progress. So, yeah, if one to two days, give it a shot. And I, I like the whole um, protein sparing thing where we just get a little protein in during the days. It's very low impact. Usually if it's just protein, it's it can be fairly low calories. Let's say you get 200 grams of protein in, you're still only taking in about 800 calories. That's pretty freaking low for somebody who trains. Um, and then you got some amino acids floating around, things like that. But uh, and it just gives you something to eat. So yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd give that a shot. I I looked, used it with luck when I was getting down, and then I didn't have to drop my daily my daily calories any lower. I could just have one to two days of those. I started off with one, and then maybe towards the end I added two um, to get down lighter. So. Yeah, give it a shot. So, Our other question was some listener mail that came in. Lonnie shot it over to me. And it is from Arturo. Arturo sends us a message saying, uh, I don't know if this is correct email, but anyways, here's the question. I have seen many twice-a-week programs, and I'm a little reluctant to go that route, even though there are many times I barely have time to get it get to the gym. I'm a big guy, five foot. I'm not a big guy. 5'5", 178, my strength level is mediocre, 250 bench, 310 deadlift, 185 squat. My squat sucks because of lingering injuries to my back and knees the last couple years. I have begun training for strength. I've only begun training for strength a couple years now. Even though I lifted on enough since my teens, I'm now 52. My back and knees are the healthiest they've been in years, and even though I'm chomping at the bit to push it, I also don't want to overdo it and injure myself again. Is training twice a week really effective? I've done everything from SS, starting strength, I'm guessing that is, to 531, I tend to gravitate towards strength over bodybuilding templates. There are many sources out there that claim older lifters should work out less, i.e. twice a week. 
Um, what have been your experiences? Any advice would be appreciated. By the way, I do eat healthy, fluctuating between maintenance and slight deficit calories as to not get overweight. I estimate my body fat percentage around 20-25, cardio consists daily walking, hiking on weekends, and occasionally HIIT. My best, our best regards, Arturo. Arturo, yes. I mean, I do have luck with this. Not only for older lifters, but some of my stronger lifters. At a point, um, at a point with age and with strength, you can only do so much. Um, but it's something that I'm messing around with right now with myself with, with good benefits. Um, basically, I'm getting in most of my lifting on one day. Uh, so I'll go in today here in about an hour and 15 minutes and I'm going to squat heavy and then I'm going to bench and then I'm going to deadlift heavy and then what I do the rest of the week is I'll have one to two pickup days where I get my assistance work in and what this is allowing me um, being an older beat up lifter uh, a little more time to recover my, I was doing I went back to the old standby that worked when I was 25 and 30 and was trying to go four days a week, heavy squat day, heavy bench day, heavy deadlift day, heavy other press bench day. And basically I was always in a state of hurt, so none of my days were that great. I've changed to this, and my lifts are skyrocketing. I mean, I'm probably going to squat even after having a hip replacement and a hamstring repair. Um, I'm aiming to squat more than I've ever squatted in my life, so that's a good thing. Um, we're probably going to be getting a 750 here in April. And right now, most of that, 99% of that work is done on one day. And then I have the rest of the week to recover. I think it's a couple things, though. And you said you've been training your whole life. I think it's a lot easier to maintain as an older lifter than it is to to gain, <laughs> if that makes sense. So I can make these small gains uh, training once a week, not beat myself up, a little less wear and tear on my joints and cartilage and things like that, and still make progress. Um, and it doesn't take that much for me to maintain the last... 20 some years of training you know so that one day a week is fine and then I get in it's just how I'm feeling you know I may walk in and say I'm going to do some rows today so I'll go in and hit some rows uh, on my other days or do a little extra bench this week I decided I was feeling good and I just pulled some deadlifts on Wednesday to see how that felt did some speed work of 500 uh, you know and just things that move fast so I don't do anything super taxing on those other days and I push it really hard on that one day a week. It's kind of like almost a, uh, I, you could say it's almost like a meet, but it's not. I don't push it to that level in training. Um, I have specific numbers I want to hit. Like last week, I needed to hit a 605 squat and make it easy. I hit that. I came back, did some volume, moved on to deadlift. Eh, it went pretty good. So, yeah, I think there's, there's good evidence out there. And another book I would point you to for something on this is... Uh, Purposeful Primitive by Marty Gallagher. He he outlines a bunch of templates for uh, various great lifters across the decades that he's seen or dealt with. You know, one of them being Ed Cohn. Um, there's some stuff in there about uh, oh geez, what's his name? Um, oh, I can't even think of his name. Anyways, a, a bunch of lifters in there that uh, the outlines and one of the splits is just that. It's a one day a week thing. Um, that some of these great lifters used and they'd go in and push it really hard one day a week and the only thing I'd change from there is like i do some bodybuilding stuff just this and that during the week uh, nothing that's that's too intensive and I think yeah I, can, I think you can make progress then uh, as an older lifter and usually as an older lifter if we've been doing it a while we're a little more uh, 
neurally adept so it doesn't take as much to uh, push things hard and then like I said I'm doing this with my stronger lifters now I'm talking guys that are squatting eight nine hundred pounds deadlifting the same um, and we're seeming to have good luck with that and I think a part of that is because <sighs> I'm a firm believer in that yeah, percentage is a percentage like if I'm having my my people squat 70% for a set number of reps in the you know 70% 70% but at a point you know 70% of 900 is different than 70% of 225 so uh, in, in the beating it does on your body and things like that. So we're finding I'm, I'm uh, allowing them to heal and recover a bit more. And they're not as beat up. Um, one of my big things is I don't ever want any of my lifters injured. Um, uh, injury and training is just stupid. So I want to make as much progress as we can without being injured. I'm, I like building athletes for the long term. I'm not a big blaster dust guy. I'm not the person to go to if you want to go from from mediocre to uh world level in like a year i just don't believe in it too many people get beat up the things you have to do and the things that are required to reach that kind of advancement in a year i think is detrimental to the long term and all the best lifters i know and have met in my career which is many have been long-term lifters uh, i.e ed cone and things like that the where it took them 10 15 20 years to reach their their potential so most of my people that come to me are in it for the long haul. It's like, what can we do in three years, five years, ten years type of thing. So if you keep that in mind, <coughs> I mean, you're 52. You're not dead. You know, you could be lifting in your 70s and still making progress, I think. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where we're at on that. And, you know, like I said, I'm getting ready to go in and see what I can do for the week. I have specific goals set out. I'm going to probably do some... I'd like to squat 650 today. So we'll go from there and make that easy and keep rolling up. So I hope that helps. If you have any other uh, follow-ups on this, just drop us a line again via email, and we will talk to you soon. Everybody have a good day. Bye. Okay, uh, next up, we're just wading through some things before we get to break. This is from Frank Robles. He says, I emailed you a couple times. I was listening to your last podcast, and you mentioned coffee uh, I roast my own organic coffee. Uh, mm. I make my own quote-unquote workout brew, which consists of Robusta bean mixed with Arabica bean. You may know this already, but keep in mind, darker roast has less caffeine. Right, and that's, yeah. what, we're, that's what we were mentioning, right? So if you could find one, like the Death Wish type stuff, it's it's kind of both. You know, it's darker roast, but it's it's also very high caffeine. <laughs> you sent me a, a yeah. half a pound of that once, and yeah. I'm like, holy God, <laughs> I can't sleep you know, like the same night, you know? <laughs> Um, uh, he says, very cool of him. He says, if you would like, I could send you some samples of my coffee. Thanks for everything you guys do. Your strength brother, Frank. So that was oh, a cool that's email. awesome. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, yeah, no, make no mistake. Yeah, we're, we're down with the, the brew method and all that. I've been, I've been putting some Instagram posts up. In fact, we're, we're actually doing a cool project where we're going to brew different, we're going to brew the same beans with different methods, you know, cold brew, vacuum nice. brew, uh, pour over, drip, uh, and then we're going to instantly cryo-freeze them. And then um, uh, a friend of mine, Jeff, is an analytical chemist, and he, we're going to look at some of these compounds that might be able to either trigger a metabolic boost or antioxidant recovery. We, last week we talked about coffee reducing DOMS, right, delayed onset muscle soreness. Mike, you just sent me that thing. We, maybe we'll discuss next week on yeah. Apparently, the caffeic acid in the coffee helps you, um, 
you know, uh, deposit glycogen. And who'd have thought that, uh-huh. right? Because we, it's not that unusual because we know coffee has anti-diabetic effects. But for a healthy person, some of these suggestions, you know, we always say coffee is not just liquid caffeine. Um, yeah, so we're going to dig into this. And I, I actually like to measure it. You know, it's one thing to... You, you know, you hear, oh, the roasting burns out some of the caffeine. I want to go look at these different brew methods because if a pour over is going to get me more of these beneficial phytochemicals, then I'll, I'll hit my Chemex more often, you know. So, yeah. And I'm pretty sure that the cold brew caffeine content per volume is probably one of the highest, I think. Yeah. But I haven't seen any direct data on that. And I've noticed a few clients have been switching more to cold brew coffee and I don't know. I, I suspect their caffeine content's going up higher than I think it is. So right, I was told that because it's so slow, that yeah, that it, it, the extraction, yeah, it, it, the time course and the solubility of different chemicals happens differently, right? So you end up with potentially. And I know there's already literature on a lot of these sorts of things, but I always want to do this in the context of a like a a pre-workout, you know, or, or yeah. something specific for lifters, you know, sort of thing. So, um, okay. Um, just two more. And these set the stage for our topic of the day, which is about BS journalism when it comes to fitness. Um, a lot of listeners know I'm always fussing about some of these quote unquote science journalists, but, uh, this this first one, and Mike, you know about this, Lou Schuler sent us something funny. He said, <laughs> I thought you guys would get a kick out of this spam pitch that just came in. Uh, Lou's a, a notable veteran uh, oh. author and journalist in our industry, and he's one of the guys that uh, I am not pointing fingers at when I, when I critique because you know, he's got a good head on his shoulders. But he says, the executive summary here is a, a guy noticed that I linked to Iron Radio from my links page. Uh, and he used that as a reason to pitch me his bullshit nutrition opus. <laughs> uh, so he says, you'll see the cut and paste. You'll see what I mean. So I look down here at the bottom, and you could clearly see the, like, insert name here aspect of this, right? So yeah. instead of, hi, Lou, it says, like, dear ask Lou, you know, as if that's his name. Uh, it says, my name is Joey, and I'm a writer and sports fitness advisor. Now, first of all, already the red flags are flying. When I hear stuff like, I'm a writer, I'm a consultant, I'm an advisor, I think, oh, you mean you're unemployed. (laughs) Yeah, you need money. (laughs) Uh, I was doing research on sports nutrition, just finished reading your wonderful blog post at lewshuler.com. In that article, you cited a solid post that I've read in the past, ironradio.org. Now, (laughs) first of all, we're a podcast. we do have a written library type thing, but you could just see that it was inserted. You know, we're not a blog. Um, And then here it comes. I just finished writing a guide that is even more detailed and updated and comprehensive than that kind of thing. And I'm just like, okay, here we go. So uh, sometimes Lou will send me stuff over the years. He sent me stuff about once people, there was a company that was bastardizing some of the CLA research I did like a hundred years ago. Oh, I remember that. That was a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, and if, if, if Lou sees something like that, you know, because he is a journalist and he's got his fingers on the pulse of this stuff, he's like, oh, look at this one, you know. <laughs> so uh, I took the opportunity to say, Lou, let's get you back on the show. So late yeah. spring, uh, late spring, we'll get Lou Schuler back on the show. Like yeah. I said, he's written a bunch of books, uh, more articles than you can count you know, and yeah. that kind of thing. So, um, and he's funny. So, yeah. And he's one of the 
the very first journalist, I believe, in fitness that went back and got his NSCA, CSCS. I mean, now I know that's kind of more common for a lot of younger journalists, but he was one of the first people to go back and I think just do a very deep dive into fitness and, and to get certified, even though his training and everything is actually being a journalist. So I thought that was yeah. super impressive. Definitely. Yeah. You have to almost be hybrid in a sense, or you can't, what you're yeah. writing about, you don't understand, right? Um, you know, this next one maybe is case in point. This is from CNN. Coffee may come with a cancer warning in California. Uh-huh. So, so some of the listeners may have heard this. Um, this is by Jen Christensen, Christensen at CNN. California coffee, coffee shops may soon be forced to warn customers about a possible cancer risk in their morning jolt of Java. The state keeps a list of chemicals it considers possible causes of cancer, and one of them, acrylamide, is created when coffee beans are roasted. Now, anybody who knows the coffee literature knows that it's got very strong anti-carcinogenic effects. Oral yeah. cancer goes down, uh, apparently, even in smokers, which is unusual. And I'm not going to go re- reference all of these things, but I am reasonably well-read on the coffee and health literature. It's sort of what I do. And to, to suggest that one of these chemicals... You know, there's a causality (laughs) confusion going on. But so it says research has shown that coffee does provide health benefits, including lowering your risk of early death, reducing heart disease, multiple sclerosis, type 2 diabetes, Alzheimer's and some cancers, including melanoma and prostate cancer. Now, this article does point out that uh, there was a branch of the World Health Organization that says that very hot beverages could be carcinogenic. And so I do that. That's a different ball of wax, right? If you're repeatedly injuring and burning your throat, then yeah, repeat injury can induce some some tissue damage and maybe even carcinogenesis. But that's not what we're talking about here. Well, that's on the thermal side, right? That's yes, not because of the compound. Exactly right. Yeah. So it, so they she kind of tosses that out. But again, you could do that with hot anything, you know. Um, It says, the science on human exposure to acrylamide still needs future studies, according to a 2014 review in the Journal of Nutrition and Cancer. In addition uh, to coffee, acrylamide can be found in potatoes, baked goods, crackers, bread, cookies, breakfast cereal, canned black olives, prune juice. And then it says its presence is not always labeled. And again, to me is, okay, so let's say this, this chemical has some indirect connection to cancer but if we know that can that coffee as a matrix <laughs> doesn't cause cancer in fact reduces it then what are we fussing about right yeah uh because the outcome the ultimate outcome is that it's reducing risk it says humans are also thought to absorb acrylamide at different rates and metabolize it differently than rodents Uh, It says the Food and Drug Administration website says we're still in the information gathering stage. Mm. So, again, this author, I think to her credit, she is saying, you know, there doesn't seem to be that much going on with this. But, again, the article is purposely attention grabbing, right, which is oh, coffee causes cancer, according to the state of California or may cause cancer. Starbucks referred any questions to the National Coffee Association, which is smart of them. Bill Murray, the association's president and CEO, said in a statement, quote, coffee has been shown over and over again to be a healthy beverage. The U.S. government's own dietary guidelines state that coffee can be part of a healthy lifestyle. So, again, what I didn't care for was this title, coffee may come with a cancer warning, you know, and, and that kind of thing, where the 
like I said, the link to it. Now, maybe this is just politics, stupidity among lawmakers. You know, maybe it's it's that. Maybe they just want to point out to people that that chemical is in there. But to me, this does, this article spins it with a title like coffee may have a cancer warning in California. And, you know, like I said, purposely inflammatory. And, you know, I'm not a fan of that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And as you mentioned, coffee is probably the one thing most Americans consume that has great uh, anti-carcinogenic properties. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, it's Compared also all the other things they could eat. Yep. Number one source of antioxidants. It's not fruits and vegetables. It's coffee. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah, to, <laughs> yeah. To, you know, so that kind of thing, like I said, it, maybe if she were to spin that more about, you know, the blunder of lawmakers in that way. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to just defend coffee. If there's something about acrylamide that's really going to cause a problem, fine. But then the, the studies, the epidemiology, and even the experimental models would show that coffee is causing mouth cancer or throat cancer or some cancer, and they really don't. Like we we're saying, that's, it kind of shows the opposite. So why are, you, why are you bringing this up? This should be more about blunders of lawmakers in California instead of a title like, you know, possible cancer connection with coffee because that's just you know shameless attention grabbing i think anyway yeah and i think california has some very interesting laws in that area like if you go to the airport i remember going to a, a retreat or some a health event i was out there and i'm sitting in lax looking at the sign basically stating that where i'm sitting may be cancer causing and yeah there's uh, interesting ways everything has to be reported also yeah oh that's true yeah Okay, uh, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about journalism. I mean, from <laughs> Lou Schuler's bit to the CNN piece. I mean, there's there's a lot of things, and we've we've ripped on some of this before. But we're going to take a, a, a maybe a, a more of a microscope to fitness mags, muscle mags, things like that as well. Hey, listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you. Uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle. Oh, you poor meathead. All that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You can simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit uh, royalty on the book. But that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, 
But if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, we're back from break. It's uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson, Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and we're talking about fitness journalism today. And Lonnie said he's got a, a good one to lead us off with. Yeah, there's actually here's so here's a list um, things that I've seen in muscle mags or just science journalism over the years that sort of makes me roll my eyes. And then I'm sure as, as I go down this list, you're gonna be like, oh, yeah, totally. But um, <laughs> so one would be like, I guess the classic one that it doesn't really work on adults as much, I would hope. But is the classic, you know, model holding the product? You know, you get somebody who's chemically enhanced and they're holding up a bottle of protein powder or something like that. And this still happens to this day. You know, so mm -hmm. somebody, it must be working with somebody. It's like, you know, you get, you get obviously a jacked pro bodybuilder holding a, a bottle of something as if. And sometimes he'll even come out and say, you know, I use this. Fine. Maybe you do. It's, yeah. they give it to you free. But that's, this is not valid this is not why you look like that so that's the kind of classic thing one of the things i think was very funny that they did at muscle mag international uh and i don't know if companies still do this or not but they would attack fake products i don't know if you remember this but because that was they, a long time ago right right but to yeah. sound like a consumer advocate mm -hmm. they would prop up this they would even go to the instead of making a bogus label and taking a photo of like this you know bogus creatine or that didn't contain what it should or had a contaminant or made a bad claim of some type uh and then they would try to you know say well, look we're consumer advocates we're in your corner and they would attack products that didn't exist and to me that's the ultimate cowardly kind of you know, they they don't want to get sued by going after real products that don't work. Yeah. So they're going to prop up bogus ones so they can be the white knight and save us all from this product that doesn't exist. <laughs> it's just, and again, unless you're fairly well educated on, you know, the, what products are out there in the market, you're like, look at that label. You guys just printed that. Like, what on earth? Um and yeah, so then a few pages later, they'll have the the six page advertorial that kind of looks like an article that was written, but is just a six page advertisement for the next product. Exactly, so. that's actually next on my list. <laughs> and they were they were probably worst at it, right? Now, yeah, they got. You could say no. It says in fine print at the bottom of every page, you know, um, infotainment or <laughs> advertorial, right. and it, like yeah, but this is it's indistinguishable from the rest of the magazine or at least from from an article you know yeah. uh now way back in the day in the 80s like flex magazine they would write articles and then they would just start talking about weeder products 
you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you know, you're, but then you almost like take that with a grain of salt. Like, oh, here's the pitch, you know. Uh, but there was still a, some information that you could glean from that. But yeah, those advertorials they go on for like six pages. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> why do I don't see why the old idea of journalism can't work? And Rob and I used to wrestle with publishers with this all the time. Which is, if there's an article, if I write an article on coffee, put in your coffee specialty fitness ad next to it. Right? right, so people are you know, oh interesting coffee oh look here's an ad for it I don't have any problem with that but when you yeah when you write an ad and you're falsely making it look like it's the content the editorial content of the magazine yeah no don't do that yeah uh, well, I think a lot of how all the articles are are done and you know this too is that a lot of times they come to you with an idea to pitch a certain product. So the article's kind of written with this entire product in mind, where you and I are obviously much more to the opposite of that, of, oh, look at this new cool piece of research or this new study. Oh, okay, well, it so happens that the study was on you know protein at night and used a casein protein. Oh, cool, you sell a casein protein? Well, that works. I don't have any problem, you know, and I've done this in the past, too, of you know linking to that product because it fits and the research matches and everything. Or in doing the opposite, a lot of times it feels like you're trying to shoehorn and do interesting things with the research to get it to match a specific product. Yeah, like reverse engineer what's out there. or Right. Uh, the only once or twice, believe it or not, in my life have I written ad copy. I mean, literally, you know, here's the check, write the ad copy. And I'll tell you, the scientist in me, I could I could barely make my do make myself do it. I felt dirty, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, I don't know, just even though it was clearly an ad and it would be something labeled as such. Yeah. Um, mm, like you said, you're, you're, you're cherry picking and you're, you know, they're asking you to focus on things that they're not lies, but I always like to present, oh, and here's the studies that say it doesn't work. <laughs> you, know? <Yeah. laughs> you can't do that. I don't know. Uh, and again, the advertisers, it's funny to sit at a table with them because there's usually like half a dozen businessmen and advertisers. And then there's like, you know what this is like, you're like the token scientist and yeah. you're, you're always the naysayer <laughs> and the guy with the caveats. Well, Just can we piss on everyone's leg? Right. Can we say that, you know, can we tone that down? Can we say, you know, um, you know, here are other alternatives or products like this tend to do X, Y, or Z, you know, and yeah. But it's it's tough. Uh, dose sometimes dose comes into play. You're like the dose that you're putting in there is the bottle is based on price point, you know, not on oh, yeah. efficacy. Um, so many things, yeah. So it becomes it becomes quite difficult. Um, it, it, to the point that once I was told I was I I, I was a naive idealist. Uh, a recruiter told me that. Um, that was I won't say who, but that was actually for that big PepsiCo International job that we talked about not that long ago. I, uh. I knew I was over my head, but I'm like, there's got to be some solution that's evidence based that at least includes that in the compromise. And she's like, oh, that's so naive. I'm like, wow. Well, then. So be it, <laughs> because I can only go so far. I mean, I can understand you got to sort of you're not going to attack the product. You got to work with the marketers, but they all they care about is bottom line and the sales numbers going yeah. up or down. And they don't even feel like that's unethical. That's just that's the win for them, you know. And yeah, but like you said, then you're pissing down their legs saying, well, yeah, but these parts of what you're saying are not true. 
anyway. Yeah, and even last thing on that was just some of the pre-workout stuff. It's like the the number one and two are usually uh, cops, so cost of product sold. And then a lot of times, not so much anymore, there was the ultra-concentrated pre-workout where they wanted to get it into the smallest scoop possible. So then you had a volume requirement on top of it. It's like, well, yeah. I want to put in creatine monohydrate at five grams. Oh, you've used up almost all of our volume already. Yep. You know, it's like, well... Why does it have well because the market wants to think that the smaller it is, the more concentrated it is, and you're like, oh man. You know, that's <laughs> I, I don't want to get on too much of a tangent, but of course, ads in in fitness magazines are are part of this sort of discussion, I guess. But yeah, yeah, it's the same thing with a lot of weight gainers. Like if it's a 900 calorie weight gainer, <laughs> and they're like, oh, I'm going to spend money and get the 1200 calorie weight gainer because I really want yeah. the extra calories, and then you look and it's four scoops instead of three. Yeah, and you're like, oh. Well, you mean it's the same shit. I'm just taking more, <laughs> you know, and I paid more. F- Why did I pay more for the 1200 calorie one? You know, so I could take another scoop. I could have done that with the cheaper stuff. Anyway. Yeah, it comes in this uh, feed looking bag and you open it and there's like a laundry scoop size thing right. in there. You're like, holy Christ. <laughs> right. No, right. Exactly. If it's not multiple scoops, that's funny. Feed. Bag. Yep. yep. Um, back to the uh, some of the things they do in magazines, too. The. On the photo side, a lot of people may not realize this, and Rob would be a great one if we could drag him out out of his cave um, uh, to t- talk about this. But I actually – like this is something I've actually seen is sometimes if you look at somebody on the cover of a magazine and there was a particular piece of – it's a well-known brand of exercise equipment. But the model, uh, they would take duct tape uh, on, their back, on their back. You can't see it. And from one oblique to the other, and they would crunch down their waist, almost like you would see what they they pin shirts behind models at the store, eh. you know, to make it look very tailored. Yeah. And they'd shave like two, three inches off their waist with with unseen duct tape, which is, you know, posterior to the can. You know, you can't see it on camera. And I'm like, oh, my God, you really do that. You know, like <laughs> it, it, it was it was funny to me. You know, um, there's a lot of things. Uh, obvious ghost writing that's done um like some rob has written stuff for athletes and some of them and i don't like the stereotype that athletes are dim right iron radio our whole purpose is to kind of debunk that i mean how many phds and mds and other people uh, you know extremely experienced brilliant people we've had on here who are lifters you're not dumb because you're an athlete but um you can see where some of that stereotype comes from rob has written uh he's ghost written for athletes and sometimes the articles to anybody who's in the know, it's almost funny. Like, that guy would never use that word, you know? <laughs> like, Rob wrote this eloquent article once, and I don't even remember this guy's name now, but he was a top national competitor. He's a light heavyweight. And, you know, there's this eloquent article about his training philosophy and his nutrition, you know, the usual. And, it, you know, Rob did a great job. And I'm not saying it was super arcane and pedantic, but then I saw this guy get interviewed backstage and they're like, so um, tell us about your prep for the show, you know. And and he said his his response was, yes, it sure is. <laughs> what? No, tell us about the show. Sure. Yes. Yes, it sure is. What? Okay, <laughs> moving on. Next competitor, right? Because what do you even do with that? So Rob would you know have to recall people, call after call, trying to clarify what you mean by these 
inane, obtuse comments and, <laughs> and weave it into something that's a training and nutrition program, you know. And so I have a lot of respect for some of those, the ghostwriter editors where, I mean, half the shit that came out in Muscle Mag International over like a 20-year period was Rob Fortney. And people don't uh, even know, and he doesn't get a byline, you know, he doesn't. No, there's not credited anywhere. No, not tossed a bone at all. And you think, you know, he's making these guys look like champs, you know, I mean, intellectually. And if all they can say is, you got to want it more. Well, okay. How, how much protein do you eat? You got to want it more. Oh, okay. Thanks for that. So <laughs> ghostwriting is also a thing that I think can make you laugh. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen any, anything like that, uh, Mike. Have you ever written, like, ghostwritten for anybody? or? I almost did a couple times. And if I had am 100% honest, I looked at having a ghostwriter do an uh, ebook. So I had the interview done, I had everything done, and they sent me just a sample copy of what it would look like, and I'm like, ew, I don't write like that, <laughs> you know? And at the end of the day, I just scrapped the whole thing and just said, I'm, I'm just going to do it the way I, I want to do it, and I'm going to write it the way I want to write it, and hey, if it, if it works, fine. If it doesn't, well, you know, I'll probably change it, but yeah, it's just... And I've had people, you know, edit a few things here and there, which is like super minor. And then I always look over the, the final copy. But yeah, there's a, and it's one thing to do a book and to have another writer that's helping you. So like for uh, Unplugged, like Dr. Andy Gelpin and Brian McKenzie had, it was Phil White who helped them do the book. So they did a lot of audio, you know, talking to him and they proofed everything and and he's credited on there, you know, as one of the writers. So it's not like they're trying to hide anything. And it turned out really, really well. I mean, you know, 95% of it is them. But having someone, you know, kind of piece stuff together, super helpful. But yeah, when other things are just entirely the other person just wrote everything, it's like, uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the flip side to your point a little bit is also, yeah, if you and I authentically were to write something, and then the editor tweaks it, and you're like, mm, I know why you did that, but now it's wrong. You know, like yeah. they'll take a scientific premise and, and they'll simplify it to the point that it's, it's actually now wrong. And, you know, and you try to reinsert that little caveat, you know, well, only in this duration or in this dose or in this population or with this piece of equipment. And yeah, and you can't include like 30 references you know, in an article and stuff like that. And so, yeah, sometimes it works both ways. Sometimes ghostwriters are making. Um, you know, the, the the supposed author look great, and sometimes you get a real author and the editor's actually destroying the work, you know, unfortunately. And th that's always painful, you know, if you get an editor who won't work with you, like you said, let you read it over one last time, whatever. Yeah, so. and that's a, that's a fine line, too, because I put stuff out that I know is correct and will target the general audience and you've only got maybe like two sentences to work with like if you're an interviewed expert or whatever so you can't have like 17 sentences following it about well you know this study was done and people only age 30 to 35 and they only exercise twice a week. you know oh right <laughs> you know? exactly yep. so you get some of the people who go to the other extreme and they're like oh but that's you know not correct for this or this or that population it's like well if I'm doing something for a fitness, you know, magazine, and you're asking me about an 80 year old person, well, they're probably not reading Men's Health. You know, yeah, that's not the yeah. target audience I was speaking to. So. Right. Yep. Yep. 
Now, I mentioned photo shoots before, like the duct tape thing, and they do a bunch of funny things, but have you ever been to a photo shoot, Mike, or seen anything that was weird? No, actually, I haven't. Um, but our buddy Dave Barr has been to a bunch of them when he was working for Muscle and Fitness. So um, I've heard interesting things. Not from Dave. Dave's a great guy. But I've uh, I've heard from other people in the industry that it's, oh, oh crazy shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, some things you have to forgive, like uh, the fake 45-pound plates, you know? Yeah. Um, because I think it was Jean-Pierre Fuchs. I, I'm, I can't remember, but there was, was. a – yeah, and he insisted on using real weights. He's got like five plates on his side. He tore yeah. both his quads, you know. Yep, right off the bone. Right off the bone. Oh, Lord. So, I mean, I understand they got to do that for a reason. So, like, if you're holding something mid-bench and you want to look like you've got at least 3 315 on the bar, something like that. So the fake plates, I can almost understand. It seems disingenuous until you realize how long and how many times they have to hold it there. Oh. You know, it's like take after take after take and – yeah. You know. And the safety concern, right? Because, you you know, most of those photos, like, have you ever seen a really professionally done photo in a magazine of someone, unless it's a powerlifting mag, in a squat cage? It's like, no, it's a free bench. The guy's, you know, midpoint, like you said, with 315. And just from a pure safety standpoint, doing that over and over, if something goes wrong, oh, right. it's not going to end well. Right. Well, they gently tweak the white umbrellas and the, you know, the, the, the spotlights and, yeah. you know, and all that crap. and. Um, one of the things I always thought was funny, and I don't know if they still do this. I just don't look at like bodybuilding magazines as much anymore because you just get fed up, you know. But is the <laughs> Rob would laugh about this? I'm sure the sunglasses uh, indoors, you know. Yeah. So these you get two lifters, and they're 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 fake screaming in each other's face. They're wearing sunglasses and screaming at their training partner while they're spotting them, you know. And I'm like, is that like? It's an adolescent macho. I don't know what that's supposed to be, but this guy is bumping into stuff. You know, he can't see anything in these glasses. Who would wear glasses if they were really in the gym? Like, walk into my gym. That's a real gym. You know, guys don't, they really don't care what they look like. They're sure as hell not wearing cool sunglasses and string tanks, you know, and, and screaming in each other's faces. It's, it's so comical and posed, you know, uh, and false. And frankly, tacky it's embarrassing you know i'm like can we grow up i don't know this is not how these guys really lift how they really lift they come in with their hair all messed up and they're wearing stained gray sweatpants that's how this really yeah. looks you know yeah the sunglasses thing i just never understood that so especially <laughs> some of the old ads from uh, companies whose initials are mt but we'll leave it at that <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's it's supposed to draw some type of um you know connection to california or Muscle Beach, or but even a lot of that is so overplayed. Yeah. You know, I mean, over the last what thirty years, so many of the best athletes are like East Coast or from other countries. It's it's not like the old Muscle Beach days where if it's California, it's somehow cool. I, I don't know. Or is that what they were doing with the sunglasses indoors while they're bumping into everything? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so. and I think there's even the perception that you know some of the top pros, at least in the past, were very monetarily successful and just the sort of lifestyle that's sort of portrayed in the ads and then you meet a couple of them in person and you know there's some guys at the top that are, are doing quite well uh, but I remember meeting Chris Cormier once like probably 2010 I was in San Diego for I was a, a member for the race across America so bike race and and he was there talked to him super nice guy 
and uh, we just happened to be leaving at the same time. And he gets out into this. It looked like a, a Ford Fiesta or something that barely had four wheels on it. Oh, this huge man. dude. He could barely fit in the car, and it's like, like driving oh, away. Man. I'm like, hmm, that, that doesn't look like that in the magazine articles. Oh, that I no, see. right. <laughs> He's going to hop in some kind of, you know, yeah, newest model Mercedes or something. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, it's funny. I, I guess the last thing, and I'm not going to dwell on this because we always do, but is is the causality confusion, you know, like we like we just saw in that CNN piece, you know, it, it's they're pointing, they're suggesting it's something. But when they say research links this with that and, you know, obviously just because two things have some relationship doesn't mean that one causes the other, you know, yeah. so there there's always that kind of stuff going on as well. So here's my list. I just I just wrote it down sort of as a recap. So muscle mag and science journalism that makes us roll our eyes. One, models holding products as if. <laughs> Two, attacking fake products to look like a consumer advocate. Three, advertorials. Four, sunglasses inside while shouting at the partner. Five, duct tape waistlines. Six, painfully obvious ghostwriting for dim athletes. Uh, seven, you know, incendiary journalism. Uh, and seven, lastly, uh, causality confusions. So as you're a consumer, you're reading this stuff. I don't know, maybe listeners, if you see something else you think is funny uh, in fitness journalism, either whether it's more mainstream or it's uh, powerlifting or bodybuilding oriented, uh, yeah, let us know because that's just sort of off the top of, of our heads. Maybe we thought just, you know, a little lighter conversation, even if it is a little salty, but uh, pointing fingers at things that probably should have fingers pointed. So. Yeah, and the old ads with the before and afters, like the the classic one was the Clark Bartram where he's very out of shape and you see the, the two-page thing where going left to right, he's out of shape and on the right, he's, you know, like super ripped and that was actually done in reverse. Yep. So he was in contest shape and they kind of paid him to get a little bit fatter. <laughs> yeah, Rob told me he watched that happen once, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah po- before after pictures in reverse order. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Oh. <laughs> All right. No good stuff. Uh, okay. That, that's going to be it this week, everybody. We have some cool guests coming down the pike. Uh, thanks to Mike and, you know, just a variety of topics. So uh, we'll see you in coming weeks. See you. Hey, listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. 
protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.